everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back. I am the Dean of Metal, Kenneth Dean. And I am Chris K. And we're here for another week of Debating Metal. This is episode six. Oh, six already. We're up to six. A month and a half now. That's awesome. Part of the number of the beast. Yes. There's another two sixes <laughs> to go. <laughs> so let's let's start off real quick here. Um, recap what we did last week. We spoke about artists who went solo. We talked about guys like uh, Ace Frehley. Mm-hmm. Bruce Dickinson, Rob Halford, and Slash. Guys that uh, had a promising career before, went off on their own and did some great things. And some that did some, you know, mediocre things. And three out of those four that we just mentioned actually went back to their original bands. Yep. Um, and I think I think for Bruce and, and Rob, it, all, it ultimately was one of those things that they just had to cleanse themselves. I think, uh, didn't technically all of them go back to their original bands at well, one point? Ace is... He's not with went them back, now. But then he, yeah, he's yeah. not with them now. Ultimately, I But he did, he did that really awesome Psycho Circus album. Well, you got to criticize. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was not good. Um, <laughs> not at all. We also talked about... What was the big four last week? We did our, our big four uh, best and worst replacement singers. Oh, that's right. And... Uh, if you check us out online, you'll see what we posted online on social media, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter all have the uh, our choices for a big four worst and best replacement singers. All right. We've got some current events and it was weird because the current event that we're talking about actually kind of ties into what we're going to be talking about on today's episode. Today's episode is going to be artists who live off their legacy uh, and this one particular artist Although he doesn't have much of a legacy, a very <laughs> tiny legacy, a, a two-year legacy with the band, he actually recorded an album that got uh, deleted, for for lack of a better term. Uh, Dan Nelson, the former singer for Anthrax, uh, he was there for two years, two thousand seven to two thousand nine. In between, they're going from John to Joey to Joey to John. They picked, they threw Dan in there, and then they went back to John again briefly and they're trying to do something a little different with uh, the growly vocals and it just didn't really work no to be didn't. honest so the the current event with dan was he would he pleaded guilty to an assault charge and the assault charge was one assault charge on a person older than 65 years old which i never knew existed which, yeah i didn't know that we specified age of yeah. like how we you know who we can assault by age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was weird. <laughs> Apparently he had a really bad show and these two gentlemen were with one of the, uh, I think it was the guitar player in the band. They were just, you know, friends of his or cousins or family, whatever it was. And they ended up in the elevator with Dan Nelson. And as they were trying to strike up conversation, one of the gentlemen said, rough show, huh? And it, it got a little rough in the elevator, apparently, <laughs> as the guy got punched and kicked by Dan Nelson. Yeah, he said he, he took him down MMA style and then began uh, attacking the other guy when he tried to help. Right, and then the other guy apparently lost all his hearing aids. Yeah, 
Yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was tough. Not to, yeah, not to to laugh at a, a bad situation, but uh, reading the article and, and uh, he, he hit me so hard, knocked my hearing aids out. It was you know tough not to find a little bit of humor in. Yeah, no, that that was quite humorous. <laughs> <laughs> we have um, we don't do a lot of drinking on the air, and and I know a couple of other websites love to talk about beer. Uh, not website, excuse me, another couple pod- podcasts. Love to talk about beer, but today we have with us, one for each of us, Iron Maiden's Trooper Beer, the Sun and Steel Sake Lager uh, Edition. I'm not a huge beer drinker, but I will try this. I know it's not new, but uh, it was available at my local um, liquor store, and uh, I'm going to try it. We're, we're going to try it, Chris and I. I'm pretty excited about it. I, I'm a big fan of sake, so... Well, let's try. Sake bombs in let's college. Let's do this. Hey, <laughs> works, right? Oh, yeah. Love the pop. Snap. Crackle. <laughs> smells good. Okay. Wow, better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. It is very good. So, yeah, if you can get your hands on some Trooper beer, uh, Sun and Steel, definitely try it out. That's really good. I, and I'm not a big beer drinker, so that's pretty cool. All right, this week's topic, we are talking about artists who live off their legacy so essentially it means is like a guy let's say for instance dan nelson who was in a band for a while and does not have necessarily a very long career with the band and then basically is kicked out or quits goes on to do his own thing but can't kind of let go of where the legacy he was in in that band and he'll either start a band with the same name or just do stuff, you know, sing songs that may not pertain to him, stuff like that. So we're going to talk about a few guys today, and then uh, we'll talk about our big four later, and we'll let you know what that is in a little bit. So who are we going to start off with today? I mean, why don't we start off with one that's uh, pretty pretty uh, middle of the road, I would say, on this one would be uh, Paul Diano. Okay. Uh, original lead singer, Ma- Iron Maiden. Um, huge, huge fan of Paul's first two albums with Iron Maiden. I uh, I think there's a lot of fans out there that kind of stick to those two albums, that they are the Iron Maiden albums and really would love to see that lineup again. Uh, fans that go to see him specifically for that reason. And I, I understand he just announced his retirement. Yeah, he's got, uh, I think, excuse me, he's got one more show I think he's going to do this year. Yeah. And it's actually going to be a collective with other guys that used to be an Iron Maiden, and this and is even early, before early they years, were recording yeah. artists. I think the only other guy who actually recorded on the album was Dennis Stratton. Yeah. But they have, like, uh, one of the one of the Terrys that was in the band. <laughs> one of the Terrys. I think uh, Doug Sampson, the drummer, is going to be uh, okay. there. So, so yeah, so they got five guys, um, and it's going to be Paul's last show because his, hailing, his ailing health is um, preventing him from continuing the tour. That's really too bad to hear. That is, that is sad to hear, but um, I did read an interview with him, and he was he's excited that, that Iron Maiden is still going strong, and he's and as long as Iron Maiden is still going strong, he's going to feel a, a, a part of it. Well, he's, he's always been kind of positive. I mean, in the early years, right after he got kicked out of the band, I'm sure there were some raw feelings, but he's always been kind of positive, and he, he, I've heard him in multiple interviews you know, speak highly of Bruce, speak highly of what they've done. He said he loved uh, uh, Number of the Beast. So, you know, I, it's it's hard to f- have any ill will towards the guy for continuing on doing, you know, Iron Maiden, even though he's, he's still also doing a lot of his own material. Right, and I, and I give him 
like of all the people we're going to talk to today or talk about, excuse me, I give him probably the most leniency because he was there for two albums. And with those two albums, he was a big he, part of the songwriting process. He created that legacy, which mm-hmm. is, it's a little bit different than some of the other guys we're going to mention. Yeah. Like you said, like you, like you brought up, there are people who will not listen to anything after number to be. So their Iron Maiden is really, really old. Mm-hmm. And me personally, I can't understand how they would want to just live in that time period and not expand. I mean, it's just the same as the Bruce fans who won't listen to anything after Fear of the Dark. No, you know, they're fans missing. that won't listen to anything after those first four albums. Correct. Same thing. And, and people who limit yeah. themselves like that are, 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 I don't understand that personally. But yeah, so there are a lot of Paul fans who won't listen to anything from Bruce. So I wonder if they listened to anything when Blaze was there. <laughs> I wonder if they listened to anything that he did in his solo career or with Killers or, or any of the other incarnations that he put out there. That's 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 true. Now you brought something up, then that's the reason why we kind of made this this episode. His band that he created, and this was several years after, I think it was in the early 90s. Yeah, he, he, did, he initially did Deano and, mm-hmm. and he did... Uh, Another band after that, I can't remember. Yeah, he did a few, but Killers specifically is is kind of what I'm quote-unquote criticizing. You have a guy who, for the most part, tried to venture off into his own, created his own identity to some degree, and then kind of changed it because he kind of went back towards playing metal because he got away from it for a little bit. Yeah. Instead of coming up with a very creative and new name, he decides to name his band Killers after the album that he wrote with Iron Maiden called Killers. Well, here's a valid question. Did he really come up with that name or was it the pressure of the, of the like management bestowed it upon him? Yeah. Cause a lot of times that kind of, that kind of stuff does happen where the the management will come and say, Hey, this is a good idea. This is how we can market you. True. So it's possible that there was some of that in there. And I, I really don't know. I'd love to ask the guy, but I would, it would be interesting to ask him that. Although I think if I'm not mistaken, um, he used the logo, the killer's logo mm-hmm. as one of his, the logo for yeah. the so that, so that right there, I mean, maybe he doesn't, he had no say in the matter. Okay. I get that if that's the case, but I, I just think pertaining to our conversation today, it, it adds to the fuel to the fire of someone living off their legacy. Yeah. Who, like I said, I give him the most props because he did those two albums, those songs he did right. And he was part of that. He toured behind it. He did two world tours behind it. I get that. You know, some of the other guys, not so much. Well, even more so, I mean, it used, like, Paul Diano's name was in the Iron Maiden font. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, recognizable that branding is already there. Right. Somebody sees that goes, oh, Iron Maiden, oh, Paul Diano. Right. And then, I mean, even further than that, yeah, a few years later, he got with Dennis Stratton, uh, who who had been on. He was on Iron Praying Man. Mantis as well. Yes, um, and then they did the original Iron Man. But you can't tell me that's not a direct. Oh yeah, no, that's yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's a play on Iron Maiden. Yeah, and it's two guys that were in Iron Maiden. You know, again, living off the legacy. Mm-hmm. So Dennis Stratton is also one that you were going to mention, and he's part of that. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he, he's less so, I think. Um, has done other projects and just kind of is one of those guys that just wants to play. So I, I don't really feel as much on that, but he's worked with Paul Diano quite a bit since, yeah. since they both were out of Iron Maiden. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I liked me. I'm one of those people who like Iron Maiden more than killers, even though a lot of people say, Oh, it was so much more mature. I agree. I, I like the rawness and I like the songs on Iron Maiden better. Yeah. Killers to me. And, and I, I know this killers is, um, was kind of some of the leftovers yes. from the recording process. And 
yeah, it's it's a more mature album in that it sounds nicer, the production's better. There's something about that first Iron Maiden album. Oh, the, the rawness of that first Iron Maiden album is, is, is incredible. I mean, when it, as soon as it hits you with, with that first song, it's you, you could just tell that something special is happening there. Yeah. You know, the leftover song like Wrathchild, although it was recorded better and there's better production, you could tell that it wasn't... It, it was... It has the same feel. It has, yeah, it had, it had its um, ties to the first album. It was uh, the first album that, that basically attracted me, although I, I, I picked up on Iron Maiden during Number of the Beast, but that first album to me was just always better than Killers. Yeah. You know, now Killers cover... I mean, that was everywhere when I when I was growing up. I mean, it's everywhere now, but it was everywhere. Any Iron Maiden shirt you saw, it was Killers. Oh, it's one of the coolest album covers from that band. Oh yeah, I, I, I love the the contrast, the, the look of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was a uh, quite different. And and coincidentally, it's the only Funko Pop that hasn't come to me yet. I got the Iron Maiden <laughs> Funko Pops, which they are freaking awesome. Yes, those are the coolest things. Quality control is great. They look great. I would definitely. If you're an Iron Maiden fan, go find them. They're yes. awesome. Those those are cool. I'm getting mine hopefully next week. So, all right, moving on from, <clears throat> excuse me, moving on from Paul, we're going to talk about now this particular person that we're going to talk about. He his legacy in the band is is solidified because he's been there forever, but what he's doing now is where it, it kind of throws things off. And I'm talking about Stephen Riley from L.A. Guns. Now, okay. Stephen Riley, I, I give him all the credit in the world. He's been in L.A. Guns since the end of the recording of the first album. He joined up right at the end. He did one song on the album. And he was on there for almost every single album afterward. There was a period of time where he left. Had a different drummer. Actually had three drummers on one album. Their their history is a little murky to me. Oh, uh, it's 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 crazy. I haven't really followed them, but I know some about their history and just that there was several different versions of the band. Well, yeah, now there is, and yeah. and even then, for a little while, there was uh, like in the early two thousands. What happened was, you know, the band as as it became famous in the late eighties, you know, contained Phil Lewis on vocals, Tracy Guns on guitar. Uh, Kelly Nichols and Mike Cripps on bass, uh, on bass and, and uh, guitar, respectively. And eventually, they, they recorded three albums together. Actually, Stephen Riley joined at the end of L.A. Guns, the, the first album. So they were they pretty much were together for for four albums, then three albums. Then on the fourth album, Stephen left, and then he came back on the fifth album, and then Phil Lewis left on the sixth album, and. And Phillips came back, and they were all together again, except for Kelly Nichols had left. So the core of Phil, Tracy, and Steven were there together for most of the time. So they got together in 88, 87-ish, all the way into the 2000s. But then somewhere in the 2000s, things went a little haywire, and Tracy and Steven had a falling out. So Tracy left. Tracy made his own version of L.A. Guns called Tracy Guns L.A. Guns. Stephen and Phil kept the LA Guns name. They they toured and they continued. They made a few more albums, but then somewhere in the 2010s, if you want to put it that way, Phil Lewis and Tracy Guns got back together. They put Stephen aside, and so Stephen was no longer in LA Guns, and he really, on the public side of it, didn't really care. 
uh, or I don't want to say didn't read, on the public side of it, no one saw what was happening. Then last year, 2019, uh, the release, the second album that that LA Guns put out when uh, since the reunion of Tracy Guns and Phil Lewis, Stephen got an offer to play one of those German festivals out in Europe as LA Guns. So he decides to put a band together and make his version of LA Guns. Now this is where I. I have See, a problem. I thought this was much earlier. Was when he separated from them and and formed. Because I, I remember Tracy Guns talking about because he well he had because he was with Phil Lewis. Stephen and Phil Lewis were together for a long time mm-hmm. without Tracy, and that was that was the, the two touring factions that went okay. out. Okay. Then when in uh, it was 2017, Phil and Tracy got back together. Okay. And then they kicked Stephen out. That was that. I think that happened during one of the that metal show shows. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that's what I'm kind of remembering. This was right. years ago. Well, I mean, was... te- technically, you're looking at three years ago. A yeah, little, a little more than three years ago. So, Stephen was out of the band for you know a couple of years, and all of a sudden he gets offered. Hey, you know, the promoters call him up, say, hey, and that, that's probably because he was he was probably a, a big guy behind the scenes with LA Guns. He gets offered to do these European or a European show, supposedly one, and it was supposed to be a one-off. It was one of these ones where, where like all these guys who live off their legacy play. You know, one one guy remains, and they, you know they got a band that's the original band. So he was on that show, and now because I don't know if it was because of the sex, success of that show or because he, he'd been offered more, he has his own version of LA Guns. Now, what I don't like, and this is why I'm criticizing him, is that he's a drummer. And yes, his name is on all the songwriting credits for the time that he was in L.A. Guns. But I think that's more a mechanism of the corporation, you know, mm-hmm. for, for for finances' sake. Everybody in the band, the original five original members, get a, an equal share. You know, Guns N' Roses did it. You know, all these bands did it for a long time until people start leaving here and there. And then the, the corporations kind of fold. Regardless of whether he's the, the, the uh, an original member... You don't have the original singer. You don't have the original guitar player. You don't have anything. That's where it that, really starts getting shaky to that's me. That, to me, you know, is where it's like, why Why am I going to go see Stephen Riley's L.A. Guns when Tracy Guns and Phil Lewis, the original singer and guitar player for, for L.A. Guns, is out there touring? Yeah. You know, that's like me wanting to go see, you know, you know, some bass player who, you know, who happens to be, you know, the first album of the band. I mean, he has nothing to do with it, really. Yeah. I mean, not to say Stephen didn't have anything to do with it, because again, he was there for so many albums. I mean, he brings the the rhythm, the beat in the background, but he doesn't bring the vocals. He doesn't bring the guitar. It's song. important, but it's not what's identifiable. Right. It's like it's like me saying, "Oh, I'm going to go see Dizzy Reed because he was in Guns N' Roses because he's got a Guns N' Roses set." Yeah. I mean, there's nothing there, you know. So I don't know. That's my thing. I don't. I don't particularly like it. I wouldn't go see it. Yeah. I, I think it's bullshit. <laughs> quite honestly, but. You know, he's out there doing it. More power to him. Well, then uh, let me bring up somebody that it did not go well for when trying to do the same thing. All right. Who are you talking uh, about? Uh, Rod Evans, the original singer for uh, Deep Purple. So he, he got kicked out of the band. Uh, they wanted to change their sound, become more commercial, a, a bigger band. And he just wasn't ever going to do that. They were kind of like a Renaissance kind of feeling band for those first three albums. And mm-hmm. And it, they just needed to change, so they got in Ian Gillen, and obviously 
everybody knows what happened after that. I mean, they put out some some of their greatest albums. Oh yeah, that's that's I mean, the identifiable the, the Mark II lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so in 1980, uh, like kind of what we were talking about before, a, uh, a one of the management guys came in and said, "Hey, why don't you start touring as as Deep Purple?" So they put on a few really? shows. Yeah, and it was it was just Rod Evans and some other guys from other what bands. What was the bass player's original? The, the original bass player's name? Do you remember? Uh, from Deep, Deep Purple? Purple. Yeah. Oh. Which was the one that got inducted into Hall of Fame? Was it the bass player? The one that got inducted? Yeah, because one of them, one of those two did was, not get into it. It was Rod Evans. He, he did. did. He did. Okay, yeah. so the bass player did not. No, he didn't. Okay. He got snubbed. Um, so, <laughs> That's so, just weird. Yeah, so um, they started doing some shows as Deep Purple, and people realized they weren't going to see the actual Deep Purple and started rioting because Ooh. nobody was there that they were expecting. There was even... Uh, like a, a letter sent out before the last couple of shows saying these members of Deep Purple will not be appearing uh-huh. and uh, even had Glenn Hughes' name misspelled on it. Glenn and, Hughes, jeez. <laughs> well, because that was during the... Uh, the, the, the uh, oh, that's true. That, the, Glenn Hughes in the 80s, and, and right. David Coverdale version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, they basically, the, the management of Deep Purple sued him for... $672,000. Wow. As part of the lawsuit, which he lost, he no longer gets royalties for Deep Purple songs. Oh. Well, I mean, here's the funny thing. He's only got the first three albums. Mm-hmm. So there was Shades of Deep Purple, Deep Purple, and uh, I can't remember the third one now. And none of those, other than the single Hush, did anything. You know, yeah, they, but at that point, you have right. to think 1980 is not that far off from true those true. albums being around. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it in today's terms. But yeah, they were still available. Yeah, to purchase was, those, those yeah, albums at that point. I can see that. So, but even now, think about it. He any re-releases of those albums, which mm-hmm. they did do remasters a few years back. He that he doesn't get anything for right. anymore, which is probably why he didn't show up to the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame induction. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. I mean, like I said, he played on the first three, which were almost insignificant. I mean, they had a single with Hush. It wasn't that much of a, it wasn't that great of a version, but theirs, I guess, was better than, was it Neil Diamond? I think is the, the one who did the original. Yeah. So it wasn't absolutely, you know, the best version, but I'm sure it they was had popular. their fan base back then. I right. Mean. They had the fan base. They um, released a uh, deep purple released, I forget what it was called now. Um, it was something Perfect Strangers. It was af- it was after they got reun- they reunited. They put out a live album, mm-hmm. and they re-recorded Hush with Ian Gillen. Love that version. Love that version. That's a that's a really cool version of well, that. I, I've song. always been partial to that. When whenever a new singer comes into the band, to hear them come and play a few versions of older songs. You know, they did it with Bruce when he came in to Iron Maiden. They they had him record Wrathchild and. There's a couple well, he hit, in '88. He did um, "Charlotte the Harlot" and another song off of the first album. Yeah, I like his version of "Wrathchild" almost as much as I like the original Paul Dean. I version. love his version of "Wrathchild." I didn't they, like I didn't like the ones that he did on. It was on the "Evil Dead Men Do" single. I didn't like those ones as much because they had that still had that um, synth, uh, synthesizer guitar sound, and I it didn't. Which I like. <laughs> yeah, you like it. I don't. That I, I think it. it the, you're going from these awesome sounding raw songs from the original album, then you got this really 
way overproduced, slick sounding, very compressed versions with Bruce. That's why I liked Wrathchild uh, that came out on uh, Ed Hunter as a bonus track. Actually, it was a secret bonus yeah. track. That version was pretty cool because that was a little more raw, you know. I mean, I, I don't mind it. It's just, it's just a. To me, it's always a bonus. You know, it's something that they they're not obligated to do, but it's nice that you get to hear yeah. that studio version of of you know the new singer singing those songs. Yeah, that's pretty. Especially cool. when they're a good singer and not a bad replacement. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So so Rod Evans got basically financially screwed out of out of his share. Uh, or he screwed himself yeah, out. Yeah, I mean. It, it's tough to say. I mean, did he really screw himself or did he just get some bad advice? I mean, I, it sounds like he just really got some bad advice and, and went along with it and shouldn't have. Oh, I guess. And the funny thing is the time period that we're talking about here in the early 80s or 1980 itself. 1980, yeah. That stuff didn't exist like it does now, okay? So, yeah, so so back then it was it was definitely one of those where you're crossing the line trying to be somebody that you're not. Yeah. Um, nowadays, there because the information is out there, and so you can you can tell who is and who isn't playing, you know, certain dates or whatever. If if you're savvy enough, and, and you don't even have to be that savvy, but you just have to have an internet connection um, and a phone nowadays. But amazingly, there's still people that oh, show yeah. up to the show and have no idea what's going on. Right, and there's, that's that's the faction <laughs> of people who who are not as savvy, I guess you could say. Like the fellow behind us when we went to see Queen's uh, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Yeah. You guys are old, but you can still rock. Oh, God. That was, I turn around, the guy's got one tooth. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Oh, jeez. Oh, that was. And he kept saying it, too. It's like, dude, oh, it, it, like you one think of those guys you? that keeps looking around to see who's, who's laughing. <laughs> Nobody is. All right. So Rod, Rod got that problem, and uh, he uh, basically screws himself out of, you know, Regardless of whether it was his his mistake or or bad management, he he chose to go ahead and do it instead of saying, you know what, this doesn't sound like it's a good idea. Yeah. So it, ultimately, it's it, it's it's up to him. Um, someone else on this list, um, I'm going to mention is Neil Turbin from Anthrax, first singer. Yeah, first second singer, whatever it was, because there was couples. There was like he's the first that appeared on an album. Right. He was the first on the album. So he recorded the first album. Fistful of Metal with Anthrax. He was the one who was instrumental in getting Dan Lilker fired before he ultimately got fired shortly thereafter. Which is one of uh, Scott Ian's good friends. Yes. You know, if, if Dan Lilker doesn't leave Anthrax, I wonder whatever happens to Frankie Bello. So it, it kind of worked out, you know, because now Frankie Bello is part of the corporation that is Anthrax now. Yeah. Um, and Frankie's an amazing guy. He's a super cool dude, you know. Neil... And this is where this is kind of almost like a time delay when it comes to living off the legacy. He gets fired in 1984 after the North American tour, uh, the uh, the first North American tour that Anthrax had. He goes solo, does his own thing, doesn't really jump on the Anthrax bandwagon until 2001. But we're talking 17 years later. Death Riders. With Death Riders. Of course, that's based on a song he wrote with Anthrax called "Death Rider." That's where this. That's why he's in this episode today because he jumped. He he comes up with a band named Death Riders. You know, again, not being able to come up with something original. You know, as opposed to you know living off your legacy. But Death Riders broke up. They did not have a long tenure. If you look up 
um, Neil Turbin on Setlist FM to see what shows he's been playing lately. And shout out to Setlist.fm. They are one of the coolest websites where you can track all the shows you've ever been to, or pretty much almost every show you've ever been to, because if you if you have any knowledge of the show you went to, you could put it in there if it's not there. And I didn't. I did that to a, a few. But um, you can almost every show out there from in existence of all these rock bands, you know, not even rock, you know, any any musical artist, they say what set list where they played, what the date was, all the songs, and you know, it's pretty cool. So uh, if anybody's interested in checking out what show they went to and and what songs were played and you don't remember, it will be on there. Setlist.fm, and we're not getting paid for that. It's just a really cool website. But we would like to. <laughs> <laughs> but um. On March 4th, 2018, so this is two years ago, so this is not necessarily, this is the most recent concert that was listed, Neil Turbin played the entire Fistful of Metal album. That's living off your legacy. Even even the instrumental song that he probably wasn't a part of because he didn't have anything to sing. Okay. (laughs) You know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with him playing songs off of the album he was a part of. No, there's but nothing wrong with that. You kind of got to expect he's going to play some of his other stuff. But nothing, nothing. It was all Fistful of Metal, yeah. the entire show. So he basically went in there thinking he was Anthrax. So that's that's where I get it critical of these artists. You know, you're not doing anything other than what you are known for. You're 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 almost doing it like as as if you were them. Again, in this particular case, it's at least he didn't do songs from another era. You know, at least he's not doing you know songs from worship music that he was not a part of. We have we have one we're going to talk about in a little bit. That, yeah. So Neil Turbin, again, he uh, it's his most recent concert that is listed on setlist.fm, and and uh, it's the entire Fistful of Metal album. Who you got next? I got one that I love this guy. It, but it, but you have to address it, is uh, Tony Iommi. Tony Iommi? And we'll think about it this way. And he does now, I mean, he's retired. And hopefully they do what they talked about, where in 2022, uh, there's the Goodwill Games coming to, I think it's Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And they talked about doing a Black Sabbath reunion. Just a one-off, one-shot, just the four original guys doing a, a, a short concert. Okay. Yeah, that, that would be, be pretty, cool. That would be cool. I mean, think about from 1986 to 1990, and even a little bit beyond that, past the Dehumanizer reunion with the Dio era. That time with uh, Seventh Star, where he had Glenn Hughes singing, he was the only original member. I mean, that wasn't even supposed to be a Black Sabbath album. See, and that's a perfect example of how someone got pressured into doing something that he didn't necessarily want to do. Exactly. That's what I'm referring to. It's not necessarily him just living off the legacy but the the recording company saying hey we're not going to release this unless you leave, you put it out as a black sabbath album right and and he had to bow to the pressure to make sure that his music got out there yeah and so that's to me it's it's less him living off the legacy as the the company yeah no for the sure the, the the record well I, and that may have also been an obligation that he had you know like they may have been signed for five albums, and all of a sudden now he's got no singer. From what I understand, that wasn't the case. Okay, but he they originally were going to allow him to release it as a Tony Iommi album, even allowing him to take the the photo that was on the cover with just him, <laughs> which was kind of funny because he was the only one left. Was that the one where he's looking into space, going, "Why am I the only one here?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So again, they do. So they have this band. They have uh, they have Tony Martin, the singer, come and do Headless Cross, which was a pretty mm-hmm. popular album. Had more of an '80s metal vibe. Um, you know, he's a, a completely different kind of singer than the last few. Right. They, before that, they did Eternal Idol, which was another one of those kind of. It was an okay album, but there was a lot of factors in there. They had Ray Gillen in there writing music before Tony Martin took over, and mm-hmm. you know it was just upheaval, right. kind of like um, what was the one before Ozzy left? Uh, Never oh, say die. Never say die. Um, so, so they do the Headless Cross, and it's pretty popular. It's it's actually among Black Sabbath fans still considered a, a good album, right? And then they do uh, Tear, which was. They had to even cut off the, the, the tour before it was over because they had poor ticket sales towards the end. Right. So okay. they're still living on the Black Sabbath name at that point. And, mm-hmm. and it's just not Black Sabbath, you know? No, they're, at that point, I mean, yeah. I, you're talking late 80s, right? Mid to late 80s. Uh, Sabbath hadn't been anything of any consequence since 1983, 84. Yeah. Um, I know when I think of Black Sabbath, when somebody says, I think of Tony Martin, Neil Murray... And and Cozy Powell, <laughs> yeah, those guys. Um, no, no. <laughs> so, I, so you're, you're you're almost talking about White Snake there. <laughs> actually, like most bands from the '80s, Cozy Powell was in just about all of them. And yeah, <laughs> Neil exactly. Murray. Yeah. So, um, you you get to you get to 1990. They do the um, Dehumanizer, which was '92, actually. Right. They they reformed. So they reformed with, with the Dio era. Mm-hmm. Still, still not with Ozzy because Ozzy's doing his own thing. But you've got you've got Geezer Butler back in the band, right? Which is the biggest one of the biggest. You know, yeah, and that you got, makes me feel like more. This is Black Sabbath, right? And again. you got Vinnie Apice, Vinnie Apice, who right, so did, that, that's who did that's Mob the Rules. Mob Rules album. So that, at least you have some semblance of what Black Sabbath yeah, was, even though it was only half technically. It still feels like Black Sabbath again, right? And, but then you go back right after Dehumanizer when they break up again, and he gets Tony Martin back, goes back to kind of this. Did he do another album though at that point? With with Tony Martin, yeah, yeah, they did cross purposes. Oh, which God, they they actually that. did. That was terrible. Oh no, wait, two more albums. Forbidden, Forbidden was the real bad one. That was horrible. But that's the same lineup as Tear. So that's why it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they did cross purposes, which again was not supposed to be a Black Sabbath album. Cross Purposes was supposed to be a Geezer Butler and Tony Iommi project together. Well, might as well make it Black Sabbath. That's the same thing. Tony and Geezer, it's a Black Sabbath album. But again, you're having Tony Martin as the singer, and it's that, that's not what they wanted to do. But they wanted to at do least something with Tony. Different. There's some continuity. There is. So that's that's probably where that that thought process came from. Well, they didn't want to do it as a Black Sabbath album. Well, the record company problem. again said, hey, you're putting this out as a Black Sabbath album or it's not going out. And where are the record companies now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it there, record company guy. Yeah. So, yeah, then they did Forbidden, which was just dreadful. But I have that promo. It was a cool cover. That cartoon? <laughs> the cartoon? With the devil on it? Yeah. The well, Grim the Reaper? Grim Reaper, yeah. yeah. no, that, that was terrible. <laughs> it's all terrible. Um, so that, that's the gist of it. I mean, I, I have a hard time pinning it on Tony because I have so much respect for the guy. But it's the record company pressures that force us mm-hmm. to, to yeah. take this in as Black Sabbath when it's really not. 
No, for sure. I mean, that that's with if you if you're going to sit there and pin something like that on Tony, I mean, it's definitely not his fault. He went out of his way to say I didn't want this to be a Black Sabbath record. But and he you wants know, to put his music out. Right. Well, you know, it. everybody wants to put their music out and that and that's So I, let me change my entry and call it the no, record company. No, it, it I mean, it's for lack of a better term, whoever it was, they were living off the legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's nothing, you know, we may be debating this and criticizing it. It sounds, you know, we're, first of all, before anything, you know, even though we've already gone half hour talking about this, we love all these bands. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about it if we didn't love these bands. And part of loving these bands is you, you, you they, they become part of your soul. They become part of who you are. And sometimes, you know, there are people out there like, you know, the fans that won't listen past Paul they they're so deeply ingrained in the in in your body and your spirit that you know it, it becomes part of you it's your life that's that's the way it is for us for you and me we are metalheads we will always be metalheads till the day we're in a uh, an old folks home and we're cranking stuff on our little bluetooth speaker you know that people would not normally be playing in an old folks home buried in kids coffins <laughs> exactly <laughs> so you know that's what you know why we're we doing? We're, we're we have this podcast because we love the music. We have this podcast because we cannot stop talking about things that we love in this particular genre. You know, props to Tony. He, you know, going just now recently going through cancer and, and still touring and still putting Black Sabbath, you know, through what they're doing or what they did. He is the godfather of heavy metal as far as the riffs, the guitar playing, the sound, the tone, all that stuff. You know, Black Sabbath was where they're, you know, they're considered the first. But we love everybody. We love them all. And let me put this out there. I I went through and I bought physical copies of every single Black Sabbath album that I, that existed. I found them all. And this was in a time when, you know, it was, Amazon wasn't as easily accessible. Like, you right. couldn't just find everything. So I went out and found everything. Every single one of them. And I listened every single one of them multiple times even the the bad ones even though even the weaker albums i don't think i ever got through forbidden <laughs> i, I think, did i but think i listened to the first track and i don't even remember it anymore and I'll, I'll tell you why i listened to it multiple times because i paid 15.99 for it <laughs> and, and i was gonna i, I, I was gonna anything. get my money's worth <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't pay for mine, and it still has a big sticker in the front that says the record company can take it back if they want to. I, I remember how much it cost because I had bought Cross Purposes, and I want to say it was Headless Cross at the same time, and both of those were about four-something. Tony thanks you, by the way, because you were one of the five I that paid. bought it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I paid like $4.20 or something like that for those two albums, and I bought Forbidden which was the worst one, and I had to pay full price. Know, yeah, fifteen ninety nine. I think there was more promos made of that than there was actual sales. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I had a rap song on it. That's that's we, you the know, worst part. We joke because we can, you know, and it's 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 the only way to to enjoy this stuff. It's you have to make light of the the dark times, and you know you have to enjoy the good times. So there are plenty of artists like that. You know, Tony is is the master of, of of what he does, and he had to go through a lean period. I mean, most artists go through a lean period. It's not every day where an artist can go through their their career and never have a problem period. Yeah, all of them have done it. You know, even the best ones, even the ones that are still out there today. I mean, the Rolling Stones went through a lean period. 
You know, Metallica's gone through a lean period. Iron Maiden went through a really lean period. You know, so it, it's, it's these artists, Kiss has gone through a, two lean periods, <laughs> you know. So it, it's, it's, it happens to the best of them, and it happened to Tony. And along those lines, you know, being a British band, this person's not British. He's actually an, an American New Yorker. I want to talk about JoLynn Turner from Rainbow. I just have to say that was such an awkward transition, transition right hey, here. You got to do something. Just, you just well, go with it. The reason, the, well, the reason why I went with the British is because Richie, Richie was in Deep Purple, and Ian Gillen ended up being in Black Sabbath. So you see, there's the connection: the six degrees of separation of Black Sabbath. We're gonna have a whole episode on that one day. <laughs> so, and JoLynn Turner's in there. Um, JoLynn Turner, former vi- vocalist for Rainbow. I put him in this category for one big reason, and that was a few years ago when Rainbow reunited, for lack of a better term, um, or reformed or regenerated or whatever you want to call it. He was pining real hard in the media to become the singer for Rainbow. They were supposed to, you know, he wanted a big reunion. He wanted, you know, these big million-dollar shows, these these Vakken Festival-type shows. When was this? If I'm not mistaken, this was in 2016 were the shows that Rainbow Okay, so had. this was after he did Over the Rainbow with uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richie's son. Okay. Yes, yeah, after that. Gotcha. Um, Richie put aside his Renaissance band and decided he wanted to redo Rainbow. So he put together a new band. And for, for those of you who don't know, for a long time... Richie had completely dropped out of hard rock mm-hmm. and was only doing this project with his wife that was Renaissance music. Right. Re- I mean, pure Renaissance yep. music. It wasn't bad. I listened to it. I have a couple of the downloads. It was interesting for, for that much, you know, for, to say that much about it. And, and Candace Knight, he's got a beautiful voice. Um, they it's, actually, it's not what most hard no. rock, like people that listen to Rainbow or Deep Purple are going to go out and No, no, to. definitely not. But um, oh, any fan of the Rod Evans, Deep Purple might. But <laughs> Valid point. Um, but, you know, Candace has a beautiful beautiful voice. She, well, she, they, um, the, the, the band, I can't even remember what it was called, Blackmore's Night. They re-recorded uh, or did a cover version, if you want, of Street of Dreams her on vocals and Joe Lynn Turner. They invited him to do it. So it was okay, it was cool. not as heavy, I guess, and in, in, in the song itself is not heavy in general. Um, but it was not as heavy, a little more keyboard laden than the original, which had keyboards in it. So it, it, it I guess, you know, it's hard to describe it. It's not as heavy and not as key, you know, and more keyboard laden than the first version. So Joe Lynn Turner at that point, you know, was trying to plant the seed of, hey man, maybe we should get Rainbow back together. So Richie ended up being open to the idea, at least that planted the seed in his head. And eventually he decided to reform Rainbow. So now they're getting all these offers. Now, mind you, the person who is pursuing or pushing these offers is Joe. Okay. The offers are coming, but they're coming to Joe. They're not coming to Richie. Now, Richie's management has got his own thing. They've got their own thing going on where they're trying to reform Rainbow. And he's saying, no, I want to do this. So, you know, Joe kept calling and calling and calling and calling. And eventually they basically blew him off and they sent them an email saying, you're not part of it. Goodbye. And so he, that's why I throw him in this category of, of living off your legacy because his legacy was five years in rainbow. And 
a couple which years. were Rainbow's most successful years. Yes, too. I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from Joe on that. In that regards, he was. He was what Richie wanted. He basically was the helped Richie get what he wanted, which was American success. Yeah, uh, of Rainbow. It was. You know, that was. 81 to 86. Now we're talking 2016. We're literally talking 20 years later. Or no, more than that. 30? Yeah, 30 years later. 30 years later. So 30 years <laughs> later. And and funny thing is, other than the wrinkles in his face, Joe looks exactly the same. You know, and I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, he's frozen he in time. Does, yeah. You can tell he's older, but the hair is the same. You know, yeah, I mean, obviously he dyes his hair black. He uh, wanted to do this reunion so bad and then when it didn't happen he criticized the crap out of it he ripped richie new one about you know using a, a lame band which two of the members were from candace's night or uh, blackmore's night he had gotten this singer named ronnie i forgot what the name of his band was the singer can sing and he can do all the different eras and he's yeah a, i've he's, heard, he's, I've he's, heard I, some of that his voice is probably more reminiscent to the to the ronnie james dio era so that that's pretty cool He's, he's got a little uh, rasp to his voice. Right. Yeah. You know, so that's why I throw Joe in this. Because, you know, even though Joe's, Joe had a, has had a successful solo career, he went on to play with Ingve. He did a stint in Deep Purple. But he has a long, long list of solo stuff. And I've heard some of his more recent solo stuff, and it's good. I mean, it's, you know, like a pop power metal type stuff, you know, and it's not bad. Um, but it's not something that's going to gain him a million streams. You yeah. Know? That the reason I throw him in is because he's trying to make this rainbow thing happen so bad. No, we got to do it. And it was for him. I think it was more about trying to generate his last cash grab. And I feel you know that's where I kind of like, all right, dude, you you pushed this a little too hard. You know, Richie didn't do it for a cash grab. Richie did it because he wanted to see you know wanted to play the music again. Yeah, I think Richie just kind of does what he wants to do, and you can't fault him for that no and I, I think that's the reason why richie didn't do it with joe because he didn't want it as a cash grab he wanted it to be purely about the music even though you know some criticism came back that it wasn't that good some criticism came back you know you could tell he was rusty you know rusty yeah. metal <laughs> but richie's richie you know and and he's definitely older you know and he's I, in his mid-70s you know trying to trying to shred is not the same as it used to be and i would definitely mention um what i kind of hit on before which was uh he did a, a reunion of sorts with other Rainbow guys. That it was called Over the Rainbow, and that was in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was with Richie Blackmore's son, Jurgen. What you said? Jurgen. Jurgen. Yeah. He didn't. And it was a couple of other guys that were in Rainbow as yeah, well. You know, it was they had the kind of the blessing of Richie in a way mm-hmm. because it was because his son. it was his son. But it was it was really not an affiliated project it was a tribute band right it was a tribute even band. though they were members of rainbow sort of like uh dio's disciples or the last in line but the, those happened after uh dio had passed away right. which was a little different right it's a little different but still same thing a, a tribute of some sorts with original members involved yeah. so it's, i mean it's, it, it was in a, you weren't gonna get for the longest time you weren't gonna get richie blackmore playing right exactly playing rock songs no so i get it all right so who else you got so, on a note that uh, you brought up earlier about the drummer being the only guy in the band. Oh, Stephen Riley? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frankie Benali. Frankie Benali. So, Frankie Benali from Quiet Right, version 2. <laughs> version 2, yeah. <laughs> Mach 2, version 2. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, Frankie, is, he's a good example of, of what we're talking about because 
Is was he an original member? In a way, in, um, in a way, yes. In a way, no. Because if you want to go all the way back to '78, no. If you want to go back to the Reformation, yes. You know, so. Yeah, but that being said, at this point, he's the only original member from that classic lineup. Right, the classic lineup. Uh, that's we'll still around. That. Right. And and they've had what six singers since uh, 2011. I think six singers since last week. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, since 2000, yeah. I mean, if you oh if you go to a show and you're not a diehard fan, you don't know what you're getting into. Right. And is that really going to see quite right? See, now the funny thing, I think if I'm not mistaken, the bass player is Chuck Wright. And Chuck Wright... He had a history before, he, and then right, he, he, went, a he left and came back to the band. Right. It's been Rudy, Chuck, Rudy, Chuck for the longest time Yeah, in, in terms of bass players. So but he's least, not an original member. No, he's not an original member. He was the, the quote-unquote second bass player of the classic era. And you're talking the other part of the rhythm section. Right. So you, it's not the guitarist. It's not the singer. Right. You know, and, it's, and it's a Kevin nameless... Dubrow passed away, so, right. you know, but... So, Frank, I mean, Frankie... The you know he played on Metal Health, played on Condition Critical. He's played on everything. He's played on since everything then, right? since the, so, the reformation. You know, and he was there with Kevin through everything. You know, through the ending of the band, the firing of Kevin because they fired Kevin. They brought in Paul Shortino, and then they came. You know, when Kevin he came back, and then Kevin came back, and then there was a period of time where Quiet Riot broke up. They ended, were over, and then they reformed again. So yeah, I mean, and Frankie was a part of all that. And now, you know, when when Kevin died, they ended the band again. And that was supposed to be the end of Quiet Riot. And Frankie just says, I'm going to restart Quiet Riot. I personally wouldn't have named it Quiet Riot. No, I would have. I, I mean, I, I would have called it I Metal Health. See, with, with, the, with everybody, the way everybody does things here, call it Metal Health or call it Condition Critical or, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, I say I would do that. But again, is it is it really his decision or is it? The, the record company saying, you know, we put out another Quiet Riot album. At the time, I think it was more Frankie's. It know? could be. And yeah. and we, I don't, you nor I have seen the the documentary that Frankie's put out about Quiet Riot, which I definitely want to see. I hear it's very good. So maybe we should watch that and then and come, then back, and come back and part two address this. this part two. Well, I mean, he had said that he was going to, that, that Quiet Riot was over. You know, and then, you know, a couple of years later after after grieving was over, you know, for him, he decided to reform it. I mean, I get it. Like I said, I would have called it maybe Slick Black Cadillac. You know, that would have at least been some homage. Yeah. Don't I, I personally don't think he should have called it Quiet Riot just because it's not. Yeah, and, it's hard it's hard for me to say and I, we've talked about this before. It's hard for me to want to go see a band when I don't know who the singer is. It, you know, put out a couple albums and I'm or at least an album, and I'm and I'm interested at least. Well, I mean, they had Jizzy Pearl for a while, and Jizzy Pearl's done everybody's band that's come out of the LA scene. And that's that's a tough it, one for me too. Is what it, it then it becomes kind of indistinguishable who you're listening to. True, exactly. You know, you know and then they had James Tur- uh, Durbin from American Idol fame, who was there for a, a solid bunch of years. I don't even think it was that long. I think I think his his time in the band was pretty short. I think actually. it was like three years at least, maybe more. But even maybe so, I mean, but it, it, nowadays these years fly by because these albums are few and far in between. I, I know he did one album with them. Regardless of that, he brought a little bit of stability at the time when they needed it. So you could say, okay, well, Jizzy left. Now they got James Durbin. 
you know, he was flying the flag for Quiet Riot. Again, I don't think they should have called it Quiet Riot if you don't have anybody but the drummer. I mean, it's not like Frankie's playing is that distinguishable from the next guy. That's where... Yeah. <laughs> That's where where it kind of boils down to. It makes it difficult to say, you know, this. oh, this is... You know, it, even if it was the most prolific drummer, it, is it really going to feel like the same thing? No. Like, say you got Neil Peart, and you had him in... in, uh, in I don't know. You call some other band. Yeah, any band. And it's just him. Is that really Rush? With Yeah, without Alex and without Getty, it, it's not Rush. Because there's a certain vibe you get from that. There's a certain... It's not not the word aura, but there's a certain gel factor between those players mm-hmm. that, that create that sound that makes it what it is. You know? Yeah. There has to be those at least some of those elements together that make that band. Right. You know that's that's why I say like when when geezers in in Black Sabbath it feels more like Black Sabbath right because the bass playing he's got such a unique see now he's unique his his playing his fingers are so different mm-hmm. that you know it's geezer playing the bass yeah and there has to be more than just one of those elements to right. con- in the conglomeration of the band for you to feel like this is the band. Right, exactly. And along those same lines with, with Frankie, another person that's a drummer, Bobby Blotzer from Rat, did the same thing and got the same criticisms and got the same... Well, I mean, Frankie didn't get an ass kicking because Frankie's, Frankie's in control. He was the corporation. Mm-hmm. Bobby, he thought he was a corporation... You know, I mean, Rat, you know, he was in Rat for the longest time. So I don't, yeah, I don't follow Rat. So what? Well, well Bobby, what Bobby was in the original Rat that or that, that formed in 82 and, and, cre- and, and he's on every Rat album, much like Stephen Riley. He's on almost every LA Guns album. Yeah. Bobby is actually on every Rat album and he's been there through the, the ending of the band, the reformation of the band, the reunion band on all of them. Until um, the band went dormant because Warren didn't want to play anymore. Stephen was doing, you know, Stephen Piercy was doing his own solo stuff. Juan Crozier was doing his own bass stuff. He had left years earlier. So Bobby's like, dude, I want to play drums. And these are my songs. This is, this is my band. I'm going to go out and play as Bobby, ba- Bobby Blotzer's Rat Experience. So he wasn't even Rat per se. So he went out as Bobby. Which is better, at least. It was, but then he decided to be Rat, and that's where everything went downhill for him. Because <laughs> the corporation didn't want him going out as Rat. But he's like, you know what? The corporation's not doing anything. So WBS, which was for Warren, Bobby, and Steven, that corporation wasn't doing anything. He, just, he decided, you know what? I'm taking control of it because they're not coming to the quote-unquote meetings. They're not quote-unquote doing any of the minutes in this corporation so he took over corporation and he says i'm going to be in charge and he made a new band it doesn't necessarily work that way because that's not rat warren d martini is the last remaining guitar player of rat okay and even carlos cavasso who became this the, the the replacement for for robin crosby he wasn't there anymore you know so now you don't have warren you don't have carlos you don't have steven you didn't have juan I mean, the whole sound of Rat is gone. So what is Bobby doing? He's playing drums to some tribute band. It's like 
At the least, original name I could accept. The Rat Experience. Yeah, the Bobby Boswell's Rat Experience. Exactly. Yeah, that, sort of like what John Jason Bonham's doing. Yeah. You know? He's not calling himself Led Zeppelin. Right. Which would just be blasphemy. No, Robert Robert <laughs> Robert and and, uh, and uh, Jimmy would hit him over the head with, a, with his own drums if he did that. <laughs> you know? But uh, who else? Steven Adler's Appetite. Okay. Yeah, I mean he's not he's not going out there calling himself uh, Stephen Adler's uh, Guns, Guns and, Roses. and Roses. But at least Stephen did some original music, and and guess who was associated with that band? Jizzy Pearl. He's associated with all the LA bands. So Bobby basically got sued. You know, he won one lawsuit against Warren, then lost the, the lawsuit against Stephen with the the control of the name. They kicked him out of the corporation. Warren did not want to go back out on tour, but at least he gave the blessing to Steven to go out there and play. And so now Steven and Juan Crozier are back as, as Rat. They're doing their own thing. And they, you know, recently they were going to do a 2020 tour and they lost Jungle Boy as their, their guitar player the other day. They literally couldn't find him. He quit. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't remember his name, but he, they just announced it like two days ago or yesterday that their guitar player quit. He looks exactly the like... Joke, yeah, the he, joke is that he looks like the, the Jungle Boy from AEW Wrestling. Yes. I, I can't remember <laughs> Jungle Boy's name right now, but uh, yeah, he looks exactly like him. Except Jungle Boy's 23 years old, and this guy's not. Looks about four. <laughs> I know. With, with sideburns. Man, those are some serious sideburns for a guy <laughs> that looks that young. Yeah. Anyway, so so Bobby, you know, is now not doing anything. Um, should have stuck to the rat experience. You know what? And he should do that again if he wants, because they can't take that away from him. You know, so. I mean, he's still part of the history. Right. So who do we have left? Um. So... I believe we're going to talk about uh, the big gun for tonight, Dave Evans. Gun. Dave Evans from ACDC. The, if and that doesn't sound familiar, there's a reason for <laughs> There's that. a reason why. He literally recorded two songs with ACDC, or that got published by ACDC in 1974. He did Can I Sit Next to You, Girl. Which you probably know, a version from Bon Scott. Right. And uh, what's is funny was they re-released a single with Bon on vocals. Same, I think it was the same tracks, and they just got rid of Dave's version. Recorded his his vocals. Yeah, and the B side was a song called "Rockin' in the Parlor," and uh, that was the B side to "Can I Sit Next to You, Girl?" Back in the day. And, I don't know if I've ever heard that one. I might have, but I know I've heard "Can I Sit Next to You, Girl." I never heard that song before. You've ne- you've I didn't even know I that. Next to you? No, no, rocking in the parlor. Oh, okay, yeah, I've never heard that one. I I didn't even know the song existed, but I I looked it up today and they said, yeah, it was the B side. I'm like, <laughs> well, really? Okay, cool. Learn something new every day with this ACDC band. So Dave Evans, he is the reason why we're talking about what we're talking about today, living off a legacy. I you know if if Bobby if I'm criticizing Bobby Blotzer and I'm criticizing Joe Lynn Turner for a cash grab. This dude, Dave Evans, is really, really doing a cash grab and living off the legacy. Well, they were part of the legacy. You know, they were there. They wrote those songs. They were they sang those songs. They played the drums on those songs. They were part of it. This guy came in at the beginning, was gone by the time anything important happened, and he's he's singing songs that he never sang. So to explain a little bit about the songs he hasn't sang, so the last set list that Dave Evans has done, it was in Mexico City, Mexico, December 14th, 2019. So this is just two months ago. 
He's in South Central South America, and he plays. Can I sit next to you, girl? Okay, that one makes sense. Right, rocking in the parlor. That makes sense. Okay. Take me down again, which is an original. Okay, makes sense. We're on board still. And then he. Then that's when this is where he steers off the the, the highway. Uh, the the highway to hell. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Hell in a bad, bad place. place to be. Yes. Okay. So that's off a of let that's there be nothing rock. to do with. Sold my soul to rock and roll, an original. Okay. Put up or shut so, up, an original. Baby, please don't go, which is a cover song, but it was an ACDC song. It's a song yeah. that ACDC covered. Fine. Aerosmith covered it too, but. Is it is it possible that when he was with ACDC, they did that as a cover oh, song? Oh, for sure. For so, sure. Because it's on 74 Jailbreak. So it was something that was done back in that day. So playing Devil's Advocate, he possibly did that with ACDC. Before definitely, being I like from the I band. believe he did. Okay, you know, again, it, it, it's a cover song, so you can't really blame him for that. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. The 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 main song off of High Voltage. Now so that one's that one's questionable. That one and TNT are questionable. I got to look at the songwriting credits to see a, who's on there. They're probably both Young and Young songs. Here's the here's the thing. I'll give him enough credit on TNT and It's a Long Way to the Top only because those were songs that were probably being written or played at, at the time of some some way, shape, or form. You know, Maybe it was an early version of It's a Long Way to the Top. Maybe it's an early version of TNT. I'll give him that much. I mean, Bond played the bo- the bagpipes on It's a Long Way to the Top. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was recorded with Bond on vocals, but you know, it could have been written by Malcolm and Angus prior to Bond joining. It could have been something that they... Bond's got a, a songwriter credit on It's on a, long, it's way. a long Way to the Top. Okay. I mean, he could have come up with the lyrics. They could have come up... They could have had different lyrics with with uh, Dave. Who knows? We, we won't know the exact truth to that. It's, but yeah. we'll... Let, let's even... Let's go put that much of a... You know, go on, on that much of a limb for the guy. Okay? And that's quite the limb. And that's quite the limb. You know, TNT was the next song. And we'll put that in the same thing because TNT was from the first album in Australia. I get that. But here's where, again, now he's... Well, wasn't TNT from the second album in Australia? It was It was on the TNT album, which right. was the second album. Yeah, so that's right. It was the second album. But the first album was mostly those cover songs. So True. They could, still could have been being played in the same time frame because they both came out in 75. That, yeah, that given. Okay. All right. So we'll give him that. But this is where he, you know, he, he already steered off the highway. Now he's just... He's on the, the, the feeder road, okay? <laughs> highway to hell. The feeder road to hell. The highway to hell. Let there be rock and whole lot of Rosie. There's no way in the highway to, to hell that any of those three songs have anything to do with Dave Evans. None. And that is totally ripping off the fans and saying, hey, look, this is a guy from ACDC singing these songs. Mm-mm. Sorry. No. Not happening. This is the reason why we had this episode, because we were critical when we, when we saw this the other day, we were very critical of Dave Evans living off this legacy. I mean, he's made more news recently for different ACDC things when, when, when than he has since 1974. <laughs> basically. I mean, think about it. He, he, he literally, maybe, maybe not, tried to throw his name into the hat when Brian Johnson went down with his ear problem a few years back before Axl Rose took, you know, came in. He was kind of slipping his name in there. He started talking to the media. Oh, you know, if they ask, I'll do it. No, dude. No one cares. No one wants you. You, you. you you don't think they would have called you if they wanted you, knowing that you're still around with your hair dyed and your little bandana on your head? No, dude. They didn't want you. 
Okay, <laughs> sorry. So you, so then, okay, well, they don't want me, so I'm going to go do my own thing, and I'm going to sing their songs. Well, yeah, sure, they got paid for it, but <laughs> still, I mean, come on. You're, you're, to me, you're fooling the fans. And what's worse is that the fans in South and Central America are so rabid for metal, you know, and, and all the names, that this guy probably had a sold-out show. You know, five, six, seven hundred people, maybe a thousand people show up at his show. Hey, this is the guy from ACDC. No. He's not. But, that, but that's the thing. You throw that name on there, and the the unaware fan that that really just doesn't know the history as strongly as as guys like us, right? Sees, oh, it's a guy from ACDC. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, and that's that's that's. I mean, that's what that, happens me, with all these bands. Yeah, to me, that's fool. That's ripping off the fans. Yeah, Bobby is ripping off the fans. You know, Steven is ripping off the fans with his version of LA Guns. Well, that's if, like that's like the Rod Evans with the right with the oh, exactly Deep Purple, and that, and that was showed how bad it can go. And that and that was at a time where that stuff wasn't acceptable. It's actually more acceptable now. You know, Frankie's not ripping off the fans because everyone knows Quiet Riot is Frankie and Kevin, and well, Kevin's as long not as around. they're legally protected, right? And that's that's also a sad. I mean, fact. in Dave's. In Dave's case, he's probably legally protected. He could have gone there and say Dave Evans, the, the former vocalist of ACDC. But it's well, your, he's not touring as ACDC. No, right. And that's the, that's where know. Rod went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't believe he even tried to pass that off as Deep Purple. Dave, you know what? Enjoy your, your time. Uh, because you know what? At least you get to do it. You're still doing it. But yeah, I think it's just, no, stop singing those songs that don't belong to you. Well, you know, then again, it could be just saying it's a cover songs. Do somebody else's cover song. You well, know? I mean, do a jackal song. You got the same voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that being said, and if he's doing it for any of the right reasons, and if he is a, a you know a fan of Bon Scott, and oh, he is. A, know, that's the other thing. He's a fan of Bon Scott. You know, so there's there's that to it. I know he's a fan of Bon Scott because I, I've read the interview, and he is. You know, and and he's doing it to 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 keep the music going. I get that. But those are not your songs, and and you're passing it off as almost like they are, and, and that's what I. And if I'm wrong, and he's not, then I apologize. But this is why I'm critical of this because, yeah, it's can I sit next to you, girl? Is your song "Rocking in the Parlor" is your song? You recorded them. You're on you're on the the the, the forty five that still exists somewhere out there. But "Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be" is not your song. High Where the Hell is not your song. Whole Lot of Rosie is not your song. And Let There Be Rock is definitely not your song. So, yeah, you're you're, you're doing an ACDC cover tribute band type thing. I get it. Because you were an ACDC. But, I don't know. This, to me, it's a stretch. You know, so. I think I think for the, the biggest thing, as long as he's not putting ACDC in the, the header, you know, when you see it on the marquee, if there's still marquees out there. There are, sort of, kind of. <laughs> if it's on the sign in Just, front of the bar you're going to go see. If it's on the headline of the website. <laughs> yeah. If it says ACDC on there, then he's wrong. All right. We, we have come to that point of the show where we need to talk about our big four. And this week's big four are sophomore albums. Our big four sophomore albums. This was really hard for me. Because there's, there's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of good second albums out and there's there. There's a lot of bad ones. The sophomore slump is real, and this, and going through the list, I definitely recognize it. Yeah, I I almost want to do a big four on on the the uh, really shitty the, ones. <laughs> well, not that like the biggest sophomore slump. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
That would be an interesting one too. But I mean, let's put it this way. I'm gonna I'm just gonna briefly mention what I left off. Okay, so so people can understand what I left off. I left off Dawkins Tooth and Nail, God Smacks Awake, Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusions. Does that count as a sophomore? So they put the EP lies. That's a technicality. I left well, off. Well, it's an EP, so right. we're not counting it. Judas Priest Shadowings, Cinderella Long Cold Winter, Testament, The New Order. Those ones I left off of my list. Okay, so it, it gets better from there, but those are really good albums. All of them. <laughs> Wasp, The Last Command, Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil. I left that off. Now, maybe you have it on yours. I don't know, but I left I it offline. But, but <laughs> here's another one I left off Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power. But that's like their sixth album. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was the reason I didn't I didn't put that on my list, and and I think Pantera is always going to be that one that's like sketchy on yeah the anything that has to do with history mm-hmm. is because yeah I would love to say that's their sophomore album but it's really not right and I get that yeah I had our, I did this only reason I left that off because it is one of my favorite albums right so with that being said let me go ahead and say it so you can wrap it up. On, on your big four, since I've already been talking about it. My choices. I'm gonna and I'm gonna do this again. I'm gonna throw an honorable mention in there because I can't help You're cheating, it. man. I'm not cheating. It's an honorable <laughs> mention. It's not the big four. Okay. My honorable mention is Megadeth's P cells. Okay. okay. That was a really, really big jump from first album to second album. A monumental jump. Yes. I mean production wise, songwriting wise, and the fact that P cells is still a classic played today okay that's my honorable mention my number four big four sophomore albums is saigon kicks the lizard really now, yes now not a lot of people know who saigon kick are okay they're they're a florida band from fort lauderdale slash miami area they had three major label albums and i think one or two indies um, the first two albums were the original lineup. The third album, the singer left because they um, had a very similar voice. They continued on as Saigon Kick with the same, with, without a new singer. With Jason Beeler. Yeah, with the, Jason Beeler was yeah. the guitar player slash singer. And they did that for several, the, the rest of the albums too. Um, I think Matt Kramer reunited later on with them, but I don't think they did. They've never album. put out another album. No. So this the first album, in my opinion, was phenomenal. It was in 1990. It was one of the best albums to come out in 1991. That came out the same year as Metallica's Black Album. The second album was a huge jump in production, a huge jump in maturity of songs. Amazing record, top to bottom. I mean, both for both first and second album are amazing. So, but you could see a jump in songwriting. You could see a jump in maturity, and it was a damn good record. Saigon Kick, The Lizard. That's my number four. I'll be honest, I like the first album better. But I also tend to like albums that are more raw. Mm-hmm. And I like first albums by bands. Right. There's just something about it. They've been working on these songs for so long. For their that, entire lives. Yeah. So they, they put out these albums, Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. yeah, Kill Em All. I mean, just there's so many of them. That Appetite have, for Destruction. Appetite for Destruction. One of the greatest albums of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it's something about that first album. I do like the second album. The second, I mean, I love the I love both of them. I mean, they're they're both incredible albums for their own reasons. But as a sophomore record, to me, that was that is just an incredible sophomore record. So that's my number four. My number three sophomore record is Van Halen Two. Okay. 
And the reason why I picked Van Halen 2. <laughs> huh? I know your reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first one I got. I When I first heard, discovered Van Halen, I went out to the store. I saw a record that had a big VH on the front. And I said, ooh, this is it. Missed, <laughs> I missed the fine print at the time. It wasn't really fine print. The heading at the top of the record said Van Halen 2, written across and the letters it. were spaced across. <laughs> so there's two little dash or, or lines, the eyes at the end. And I'm like, man, yeah, all I saw was the VH. It's like, this is it. Went and bought it. And I'm like, where's Eruption? <laughs> <laughs> but needless to say, it is a great record front to back. I mean, I would say it's the one only, of my favorites of the David Lee Roth era, it, to be honest. It, the only weak song on there would have to be You're No Good. And and that's even a, still a good song. It's a cover, if I'm not mistaken. I love Light Up the Sky. Light Up the Sky. I love uh, Women in Love. Women in Love. Beautiful, Beautiful Girls. Beautiful Girls. Bottoms yeah. Up. Oh, man. The whole thing is I mean, awesome. It's an awesome, awesome record. So that's my number three. My number two, big four sophomore album, is Ozzy Osbourne's Diary of a Madman. It's always a good choice. That is a classic. That is, again, like Saigon Kick, big jump in production, big jump in maturity and songwriting. It was the epitome of what would be Randy Rose's career. It is the, or the crescendo or whatever you want to call it. It was his shining moment. I mean, everyone talks it's, about... It's his penultimate album, I right. think is the best way of putting it. Diary of a Madman, the song, amazing. I love that song. I mean, that that song wasn't always my favorite Ozzy song, but it has grown on me so much. It used to kind of scare me with the whole intro <laughs> as a young kid, <laughs> but I really love that song now. And, and having gotten older and know more and more and more about Randy and how he recorded it and, and, and his love for classical music, that song just says it all. Now, mind you, Over the Mountain, Flying High Again, Believer, Little Dolls, SATO, you know, all those songs on this album are great. You Can't Kill Rock and Roll, I love that song. From top to bottom, it's yeah. one of those ones that you can listen to from beginning to end and not skip a song. Exactly. So that's a classic. So, again... I like Blizzard of Oz better than Diary of Man. <laughs> I want I want to talk about this on a future episode sure. too. Of, of, of first album versus uh, second album. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's, there's so so many people that that feel that Diary is that 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 ultimate Aussie album, and I've just always been more partial to well, Blizzard. I mean, of Oz. there's there's a um, Chris Jericho on his you know podcast had they did their uh, ultimate album clashes, mm-hmm. and they um, had uh, the, the that album clash. Uh, Blizzard versus Diary. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the guys, it was funny, they were voting all these songs from Diary as their their the better song, head to head. And ultimately, they went with Blizzard of Oz. Interesting. Because Blizzard was the first one. There was something special about it. There was a uniqueness. I think the only one was um, uh, Rich. Um, Rich Ward. Rich Ward was. I think he went with Diary because okay. he's a he's a producer. So there was a lot there. So he has a little bit different perspective. On he had that. a much different perspective. So my number one drum roll, please. We should know what this is because I would be shocked. Uh, be shocked. Shocking. Different. Metallica's Ride the Lightning. <laughs> and for for those look, Matt, I almost went a whole episode without saying Metallica. Um, I think I said it more than you did. <laughs> Metallica's Ride the Lightning. Okay. First record I bought, first full-length album, because I bought the, the Whiplash EP first. The first full-length album, I put that needle on. Growing up in the Cold War era of the United States, 
listening to James talk about fight fire with fire and nuclear war and we all shall die. That was a scary song for me <laughs> in 19. I, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I started listening to it in 85. You know, it came out in 84. So it was, it was, it was scary to me. I, I, I think after I pulled my face off the floor because it melted from that first, that first chord, those first chords, I was blown away with fight fire with fire, you know, um, for whom the bell tolls. It, I mean, it has to write the lightning. Fade, to, Fade black, to black, creeping death, trapped under ice, call of Cthulhu, escape. I mean, I've just named them all. That front to back is is hands down a killer album. Creeping death is my favorite Metallica song, bar none. Okay, I can't get enough of that song. Even for whom the bell tolls, I've heard it a million times, and I still love the the bass intro. I, I don't get tired of it. I, yeah, I don't get tired of it. I love trapped under ice. You know, James doesn't like escape. But it's okay. I like it. Fade to Black is probably my third favorite Metallica song. And I used to... My favorite line in a song comes from Fade to Black. Yesterday seems as though it never existed. Death greets me warm. Now I will just say goodbye. I love that line. So there's a lot about Metallica's right lining that I love. He has a tattoo on the tramp stamp. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I do have a Metallica tattoo, but that's not there. (laughs) So that's my, those are my top four, my big four uh, sophomore albums. What you got for me? Uh, For number four, I've got Rising by Rainbow. Ooh, that's a good one. There's there's kind of a funny story. Uh, Back when I was in college, I had a CD player in my car and I put Rising in. And I never got it out for like the next year because it it stuck. <laughs> I couldn't get the. the so it wasn't because you were listening to it over and over again. It was just because it was stuck. It, yeah, I, I, well, I was listening to right. it over and over again because I couldn't get my my stereo to switch from CD to 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 the radio. And I and I couldn't get the the disc to eject, so it was stuck in there. I had that problem before. <laughs> so for a year. All I could listen to when I was traversing from home to work and home to school, which was over an hour, was a forty five minute album <laughs> <laughs> of Rainbow Rising. So even though I love the album and I can listen to any specific song, I I really have a hard time listening to it from beginning to end anymore. <laughs> Because uh, it's almost like a, a trauma. <laughs> but I love the album. It's so well written. It's, it was such a monumental jump from the first album. And uh, it, it just, it was, it was the beginning of Ronnie really becoming a metal singer. Yeah. It was a rock, rock album, a hard rock album. Mm-hmm. But it had all the makings of what was going to happen. And they, they had also replaced the whole band. You know, Ronnie and Ronnie and Richie, you know, the exception, but they replaced keyboards, they replaced drums, and they replaced... It was uh, a new sound. Bass. Yeah. Yeah, they brought in Jimmy Bain, they brought in Cozy Powell. Yep. And they brought in... Um, and nobody hit harder than Cozy. Oh, I know. Yeah. And uh, they brought in Tony Carey to play keyboards. Yeah, it was, it was just such a huge step up, and really, if you haven't listened to the album, go out there, find it. Listen to Stargazer. It's got a cool cover. Uh, yeah. The cover's awesome. With that rainbow and the fist, that's an amazing cover. Very cool. Love that. Well painted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's number four. Uh, number three, I've got uh, Children of Bottom, Hate, Hate Breeder. Okay. Man, when I when I first heard that album, and I heard uh, 
Silent Night, Bonum Night. <laughs> Holy crap. I had never heard drumming like that before. It just it, anything that that they did after that, the the drumming was just so intense. Mm-hmm. It was it was what like really led the songs along. All the parts together, the the keyboards just went perfectly with the guitars, went perfectly with the singing. It was just so well meshed. And for a band that had only put out one album before, and these guys were all real young. It was incredible. It was just, it was just kismet. You know, right. there was, and and they they did one more album out after that, which which was in the sim, same similar style. Um, but there was just something so raw about that album that was just, it was clean and dirty at the same time, and it's mm. hard to describe. Yeah, no, I I, I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they they were a little more produced, a little more more or. Um, together on the next album which i love but at the same time there's just something about that that evolution that early stages was there a change in lineup on the second album no no okay the the first three albums all had actually the first four albums had the same lineup okay um so number two is megadeth with peace cells okay what you were saying earlier is just such a monumental jump from the first album uh the songwriting was so much better wake up dead what a great oh, way to start awesome. that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great song, and and so much meaning behind the songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really if you really look into it, you can find all kinds of information he said about what the songs are about. Yeah, you know, the, "Wake Up Dead" was him cheating on his uh, girlfriend with a, another girl. He did a couple songs <laughs> about this specific woman, right? Um, Diana. Yeah, Diana. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty pretty interesting stuff, but. The 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 song Peace Cells. Oh, it's the baseline. The baseline alone is incredible, mind blowing. Peace Cells is a great record. Beyond that, it's one of those. It's it's a long lasting. You know, it it doesn't go away. It it's not. It doesn't get old for sure. Mm-mm. You know, and um, as old as it is, you know, being back from nineteen eighty six, doesn't feel old. No, not at all. It's it's a it's a great record. They have um, they definitely matured a lot, and that's where you began to see Dave Mustaine's sarcasm. You know, with the way he did the lyrics in uh, "Peace Sells the song. Well, I th- I think he he kind of you know that first album was so rushed. Their their pressure to put it out was was you know well they spent all the money <laughs> exactly. So they didn't really put out the product right. that they wanted to put no. out. And I think you know the situation with these boots. Mm-hmm. And you know they put out the album, they put out the song, and then they get criticized for it being you know a, a dirty version, and it just all that kind of put a sour taste in his mouth. And he's like, you know, we're just gonna do what we're gonna do. Yeah. Oh, you can see the the, the he he definitely got mature and pissed off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and he, then he did the cover of "I Ain't Superstitious," um, mm-hmm. which was good on there. So he you could see that he was a totally different person. In the in the next album, and you gotta also think mechanics on on killing is my business was left over from Metallica. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say a lot of those riffs were left over from stuff that he didn't give Metallica. Yeah, and it, it was and, all part of that songwriting right. process. So so you can you know now he's got an album that he's got to basically come up from scratch, and, and he's working with these new guys, right? And he's David worked, Ellison, and, right? And uh, I mean, who was on the on the it was the same band on the second album, wasn't it? I believe so. Gar Samuelson and, and uh, the the same band for those was, two. Was albums. it Chris Poland? 
Chris Poland. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there's a lot to be said about that. And things know. changed after that. Mm-hmm. Marty Friedman brought in. and yeah. Well, first it was uh, a Jeff guy. Um, it was Chuck it was Beeler on drums. Jeff Beeler. Yeah. And it was a Jeff on guitar. Jeff. Jeff Young. Young. But he was on. He was the one that was on uh, So Far, So Good, So What. Marty and Nick came in for uh, Rust in Peace. All right. So, my number one might surprise you. Because... It's it's probably the only time that they'll be on my number one, but that would be Metallica with Ride Lightning. Oh wow, cool! It's a fantastic album. There's no denying it. No, for sure. And 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 when I really think about the impact that it had on me, it was the second Metallica album I ever owned, and I've listened to it so many times. I mean, even to this day, if I'm gonna pick one to just listen to randomly, it's it's most likely gonna be Ride Lightning. Uh, the second choice would be Astro Puppets. That particular album, it's just solid from beginning to end. Oh yeah, it it really is. It's it's to me, it's their best best written, best recorded album. I'm, I I I would disagree on that. Even though it's my favorite Metallica record, <laughs> I think there definitely was an upgrade when they went to do Master of Puppets. I, in I, my opinion, yeah, and, and I know? and I understand that, but I don't always think. The better produced record is a better album. No, it's not. It's not necessarily it's, the case, and it's not always a better sound. It's weird, you know. You sit there and you put the three records together, and when you say three, you're talking about Ride, Master, and, and Justice. Okay. Okay. And Justice being kind of almost an outcast because Cliff's not on it, but Kill 'Em All is separate because that was even though it was Cliff era. The songwriting was a little bit before Cliff got totally involved. Well, Justice still only had original members on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so Justice Justice is, is part is considered part of the you know the classic four. Yeah. The songwriting progressively on each of the three, you know, to me got better. That also shows why Ride th- is I, such I, a I good record. I would agree with better. I would I would say more mature. Yeah, because there is a there is more maturity between Pup, Master of Puppets and and Ride the Lightning, mm-hmm. but better. I don't know if that's one hundred percent true. You think about think about a song like Master of Puppets itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is a classic. It's a I mean, great it, construction of exactly. Song. I mean, it's a it's a blend of several different riffs. It's a, you know, it's different song ideas. Eight minutes long, and you don't feel it. You don't feel eight minutes on that. And that that's a sign of a good song. Battery. Damage Incorporated, Disposable Heroes. I mean, to me, the weakest song on the album is Leper Messiah, you know? Yeah. The, I, the thing that should not be, Welcome Home Saint. See, Welcome, like, you, you compare, because you can easily compare song for song, Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets, right? Introductory, yeah, introduction songs or introductory songs. You got Fight Fire with Fire versus Battery. There's a maturity in, bar- in Battery. Now, is the song better? Who knows? It's, it's up. That's I mean, opinion. It's objective. Right, it's objective. Ride the Lightning versus Master Subjective. Puppets. Subjective. No, I said objective. Subjective. Just. <laughs> Master of Puppets versus Ride the Lightning. Master of Puppets blows Ride the Lightning away. Okay? Thing that should not be... That, again, that's subjective. Because, yes, it's, it is a, it's a really well-constructed song. But you, you have to think about people's aesthetic. You have to think about what, what, what makes a great song for you and what makes it like the, the strike of Ride the Lightning. I mean, it's just... It's just raw. It is. I, I'm I'm not a, as big a fan, I guess, of Ride the Lightning itself, the song, as you are. Yeah. 
I like Master Puppets a lot better. But in my opinion, Master Puppets blows Ride Lightning as as a song away. But they're they're different. They're, too. they're different. I mean, you, you like Ride the Lightning is is it, it just gives you this feeling of claustrophobia when you're listening to it. I, I could see that, you know. And and Master of Puppets is more of a story being mm-hmm. told. Right. So they're not they're like one's one's you know, hey, I'm I'm about to die, and one's you know, this is the effects of drugs. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. Yeah. They both kind of deal with death in a, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, death and destruction. For whom the bell tolls versus Thingy. Two different songs, but they're both heavy bass songs. You can easily compare Fade to Black and Welcome Home because they're both slow starters, mm-hmm. up tempo choruses that come back down. Although I would say um, Sanitarium's more up tempo as far as the chorus is concerned because Fade to Black's chorus really doesn't exist. There is no chorus. Yeah. But yet it's there. You know? Again, to me, Fade to Black is. I mean, I when I saw them January last year, they pay, they played Fade to Black. I didn't care if they didn't play Welcome Home Sanitarium because damn, Fade to Black was played. And then there's song for song. You can't compare Creeping Death. Creeping Death would have to go with against Damage Incorporated because you got the two. The instrumentals are are flip flop. Yeah. Orion over Cthulhu. You know. Yeah. So for sure. I. I to me, Creeping Death versus Damage Incorporated, they're both really great songs. But Creeping Death is my favorite song. So yeah, that's a ride song. You know, but Disposable Heroes to me is better than Trapped Under Ice. Although, I mean, they're two different songs. But I, Trapped I mean, Under I Ice would is pick, incredible. I would pick Trapped Under Ice of the two. Yeah, I, I mean, I like them both. Yeah. But they're again, they're two different structured songs. You know, you can see where Metallica was heading with throwing in all the riffs. They eventually did in, in Justice for All, where they just put in ten thousand riffs in, into nine songs. The the effect is songs from one album to the other. They're cohesive. Nice. Uh, but if you put one song from Ride the Lightning on on Master Puppets, it wouldn't feel right. No, it wouldn't fit. So as young as they were, and and, and fresh from making you know the first album, they put together a solid. Album mm-hmm. from beginning to end, and I, I just I have to pick it as number one. All right, well there you go. Both of us have Metallica's "Ride the Lightning" as our number one sophomore album. Chris, what else you got? All right, so uh, next week we're going to introduce a new segment. What should you be listening to? So we're just going to talk about albums that may have slipped through the cracks, or you know that mean something to us that. We, we think you should listen to. Or something that we feel, you know, yeah, exactly. We feel that we're, we're listening to and it's like, hey, you know what? We should share this. Uh, albums that maybe didn't get a lot of attention or, or stuff that we've just come into contact with that you, you got to hear it. Cool. Well, I look forward to that. All right. Well, that's it for Debating Metal this week. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you consume your podcasts. If you enjoyed our show and agreed with our opinions or just want to rip us a new one, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com. I'm Chris Gay, and on behalf of Kenneth Dean, we'll see you next week. Bye.